0: You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. Two weeks ago, Jesus was on a boat and he was going through a storm. And then he told the storm to shut up, and it shut up. It just stopped right there. <laughs> Jesus got off the boat, got on land, and then ran into two guys with tons of demons. He cast the demons out of these people. And when people saw him cast all these demons out, they're like, This man is, is super powerful. We're scared to have him around here. So they asked Jesus to leave. So Jesus has only been on this land for a few minutes. Now he gets back on a boat. And now we're going to pick up where, where that kind of leaves off. So these stories are all kind of on top of each other. Uh, we haven't missed anything. If you've been sticking with us the last few weeks, we're picking up right in Matthew 9, 1 through 8, which I'll have on the screen in just a second. Um, but before we jump into that, as I was trying to kind of figure out what to preach on tonight, I came across a story we preached on before, uh, which is when Jesus heals a paralytic man. Matthew, however, here's the beauty about the Gospels, right? Uh, You get similar stories, sometimes the exact same stories like this one, told to you in two to four different ways. And so sometimes one one person who writes their Gospels is like, okay, so Mark said it like this. I want to capitalize on a few things that Mark didn't say. Or I remember it just a little bit differently, and I want uh, to emphasize on some of these points. So sometimes they have different thoughts in mind as to what they want to to get into. Matthew has one line in it that the other Gospels don't really say. And as I was reading through the story, it just kind of caught me off guard. And I was like, what does this mean? Is there any validity to the statement exactly as I read it? Or am I reading it wrong in some kind of grammatical error? Or did Matthew just write this sloppily? So you're going to see at the end of the passage, I've bolded the part that, that stuck out to me. That's what we're going to hit on today. It's this idea of having the authority to forgive. So Matthew 9, 1 through 8 says this. Getting into a boat. Jesus spends a lot of time on a boat. He crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, who had given such authority to, catch this, it's plural, men. He gave such authority, not just to Jesus, it seems, but to his followers, perhaps, to to men. That's just not like male, that's humanity, male, female. He's given authority to men. So this is what catches me off guard, right? Obviously, God's the only one who can forgive sins, we know that. And we know that Jesus can forgive sins because he is God in man form, in human form. And here Jesus is, like, giving them some logic. Look, what's what's harder to do? If if I can tell a, a guy who hasn't walked in forever, get up and walk and he walks, and you all know this guy, you've seen him lying around town. If I could do that, do you think my statement that I can forgive his sins, do you really think, like, that's... That's a much lesser thing. If I can do the greater thing, can't I do the lesser thing? This is the logic Jesus is giving them. He then heals this man. The man gets up and walks. But then again, it ends. Jesus has given this authority to men. I'm like, authority to forgive? What does that mean? How does that work? And uh, to be honest, when it comes to this particular passage, I can't fully give you a conclusion. It's possible that when they say plural, men, that he really just means Jesus. You know, sometimes we just kind of sloppily use plural versus singular in different ways. Matthew could have done that. So we can't like fully maybe know for sure. But here's the thing. Matthew goes on later in his gospel to talk about how Christians have the authority to forgive. So it's possible that as Matthew's writing this, he's really just foreshadowing what he's getting to later. Because he's writing a book, right? Right? So, let's look at some of these other passages, see if we can sort out, do we as Christians have authority to forgive? Here's what we find. Fast forwarding to Matthew 16:19, Jesus is talking to Peter. Peter has just found out that Jesus is the Messiah. He claims it, and then Jesus speaks a blessing on Peter for figuring this out first. He says, I will give you, that is Peter, the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That's a somewhat popular passage. Many of you have heard it before. But here we have this idea that Peter actually has authority over like, if I bind it, it's bound. If I loose it, it's loosed. And we're still like, what what does that mean? Is that forgiveness? We're going to see as we keep moving on, but we see that Jesus is partnering with them in some way, that when they make judgments, they're making it on his behalf. Fast forward two more chapters and we come across another passage people know well. And we're going to read this whole thing so that you get the whole context. Jesus is telling the church how to handle drama. Here's what he says. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone. A lot of people want to skip this step and just slander someone to everybody else, right? Go to him and him alone and just deal with it with each other. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen... Take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So if the face-to-face doesn't work, then, well, you have people who agree with you, first off. Are you even right? (laughs) And if they come together and say, yeah, that makes sense. Let's kind of go and see what we can do to, to fix the situation. Then you go and do that. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. So this is the idea that Christians are saying, together in our judgment, we think you're you're sinning against this person and you need to repent if the person is still unrepentant and that's that's a hard heart right to have three people come to you and say you got this going on that person be like no i don't well uh then it comes to the church in some kind of way it's not like in the middle of a service hey we got some drama to duke out (laughs) it's just in this way like the collective body might have to weigh in 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 some form and if they refuse to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. In other words, if, if they are at the point where the whole church is like, yeah, this is a sin towards them. You, you need to repent of this. And that person is like, no, I refuse to repent. Jesus is kind of like, then a repentant heart isn't Christianity. If you want to follow God, you need to be repentant. So if they don't do that then consider them being outside of the bounds of what's expected of Christianity. There's a little bit of judgment on them for not following Christ in in this kind of manner. And so you treat them as an outsider, as a Gentile, as a tax collector. Now, before you get caught up in that, like, yeah, they're an outsider, you realize Jesus' whole ministry is about reaching Gentiles and tax collectors, right? So like, it's not like that's an end. It's just like, okay... So consider them back on the outside, and now you've got to bring them back to the inside all over again. Uh, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth, sounds familiar, shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. This next verse we take out of context all the time. right? For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. We pastors love to use this verse when only three people showed up for service. (laughs) Where two or three people are, there Jesus is. But really this passage is saying, look, when you guys have to gather together for judgment, when you have to gather together to figure out a dramatic scenario where there's forgiveness slash unforgiveness or binding and loosing, expect that Jesus is present in the witness of the few of you who agree that this is a sin. Jesus is present in that. And he wants to work with you to come to whatever conclusion you have. That's another important thing to take away here. Jesus is saying, I am present in these scenarios. If you come to your own conclusion without conferring with Jesus, you have failed to understand this verse in the first place. But what's binding and loosing? This, started, this passage started by talking about uh, drama between some people and calling out sin and a person not being repentant. And the next story is going to be about forgiveness as well. It says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now, I've had people come up to me and be like, okay, so that's how many times do I actually have to forgive? I'm like, no, <laughs> it's not a math equation. <laughs> it's It's... Infinity is what Jesus is saying. So long as someone has a repentant heart, so long as someone needs to be forgiven, guess what you do? You forgive them every single time. If someone needs to be loosed, you loose them every single time. But we still have this idea of the church occasionally binding people. What's that all about? Before we get to that, I still want to show you binding and loosing being connected to forgiveness. Okay. There's famous passages throughout the gospel known as the Great Commission, which is go out into the world, make disciples, baptize them in the name of Jesus, and then do works of the Holy Spirit. John likes to tell all of the gospel stories a little differently. Here's what John says in his Great Commission. He breathes on his disciples and says to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from many it is withheld yes. what kind of great commission is that john <laughs> you are to go out into the world and maybe forgive or not forgive people <laughs> what, are you, what are you talking about well he's he's going back to the same kind of things that matthew's saying i'm granting you the authority to forgive sins against you to meet with my holy spirit in fact that's what we have right here. Receive the Holy Spirit. What do you do with that reception of the Holy Spirit? You forgive people. Or you maybe occasionally withhold forgiveness. What, who, why would we ever do that? I think we're going to see, but we are starting to see here that part of the Great Commission, part of evangelism is forgiveness. And occasionally maybe this withholding forgiveness, which isn't exactly what it sounds like. But Paul understood that we are to go into the world and forgive. He understood this to be known as a a ministry of reconciliation. Because he said, God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses, their sins against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation, Therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Part of Paul's understanding of the Great Commission, of his purpose in evangelism and ministry, is he's going to those who aren't reconciled to God. He's going to those who still have their sins held against them, their trespasses held against them. He's going to those places and trying to get them to recognize that God loves them And wants to forgive them if they have repentant hearts and come to him. So part of Paul's understanding of the whole go out there and evangelize thing is to go out and forgive. To go out and reach people. (laughs) In fact, Paul believes so much that we had the authority to make judgment calls that he gets quite boisterous. Okay? (laughs) Paul says some crazy things. We talked about this last year, but in one of his most bold statements about your authority to make judgment calls, it says this, when you have a grievance against one another, does he dare go to the law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? What Paul found is Christians were suing one another in secular places. (laughs) And Paul's like, you guys are Christians. You're going to people who are not Christians to get a non-Jesus answer. What he's saying is like, bring it before Jesus. Let Jesus deal with these things. But he understands that part of the reason the church needs to make these judgment calls is because God has granted them the authority to judge. And here's what he goes on to say. Do you not know that the saints, that is the Christians, the holy ones, hagios, do you not know that the Christians will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to trivial cases? Do you not know that you are to judge angels? That's a weird verse. But it makes sense once you understand uh, the way that the Bible communicates God's throne room is that God allows other agents among his throne room to help him weigh on in decisions. He tells one prophet, okay, I've got this judgment against Ahab. It's time for this king to die because he's committed great sins. How are we going to go about this? And it says a spirit came before him. He's like, here's a plan. Let's try this. And God's like, that'll work. Go ahead and do that. So rather than God just making like a judgment call and doing everything himself, he's like, here's the the judgment. This is what we're going to do. How are we going to do it? Someone's like, let's do it this way. Yeah, sure. So God's working with others. Likewise, King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, when some angels come to him and tell him about a judgment on him, they're like, this is our decree. God allowed us to follow through with our own decree on this one. So again... Paul understood that in the same way the angels make decisions with God to carry out his judgments, one day Christians will judge the world, will even judge the angels, because they will take on a similar, similar role with Christ. So, all that being said, Paul understood that we have authority as Christians. He understood that we can make judgment calls as Christians, and try to understand binding, loosing, forgiving, and withholding forgiveness. Not being unforgiving. You realize those are two different things. To withhold forgiveness from someone is not to like, no, I don't forgive you for that. You're withholding. It's different. Uh, So with all that being said, we've seen a lot of passages throughout all this that obviously... um, there is more to this authority to, to make judgment calls than just like this idea like, uh, you can just forgive, lovey-dovey. No, there's, there's more background here about the power that comes with that. So what do we do with all these passages? What's our final judgment call here on our judgment statements? <laughs> I'd say this. I think this is a safe statement to say. In the end... When you meet with God's spirit and you come to conclusions about what to do in difficult situations, it seems safe to maybe say that your opinion informs God's or influences God's own opinion. So think of it this way. In the final judgment, maybe as Christians, we're like sitting on a balcony and God's like, "Okay, this person come forth. All right. So you've sinned against uh, Janae over here. And uh, Janae, what have you to say? And the way the Bible might paint it is Janae is supposed to be forgiving and loving. And Janae says, I forgive them. I've let it go. So that it might come back to God and say, okay, I guess I forgive you too. And I remove you of responsibility to that because you owed that to Janae and you no longer do. That's what forgiveness is. Someone owes you a debt and Janae forgiven that debt. So they no longer owe Janae a debt. So God's like, I guess you don't owe that to me either. So it seems safe to say that based on these, your authority to forgive is to remove debt from others in the sight of God, perhaps influence. God is still the one who makes ultimate judgments on everything, right? He's still the one who holds all the power and makes all the final decisions. But he's granted you the authority to forgive. So in some ways, it seems that you influence his own opinion on some of these things. I would say this, uh, it tells us that we can withhold forgiveness, but that is either an extreme scenario or it's something that really we're never expected to follow. You realize you can have powers from God that are good powers, but you can misuse them. I know that's strange to hear, but the Bible shows it itself. Elijah in the Old Testament, this prophet, 50 guys come to take Elijah to the king. They're like, oh, the king would just like to have a chat with you. And Elijah's like, I want to have a chat with you. Elijah freaks out and calls fire down from heaven and it eats up these 50 guys. <laughs> it's like, okay, don't have to deal with that anymore. So the king sends 50 more guys and they're like, hey, uh, Elijah, we know you killed the other guys, but the king just wants to talk with you. Would you come with us? It's like, I don't, don't want to go with you. So he calls down fire from heaven. Elijah apparently has power to call fire down from heaven. It eats up these guys. And uh, that <laughs> so the king sends a third group and they're freaked out. The third group's just like, Please consider our lives precious in your eyes. Right? Um, the king would like to have a word with you. And it seems like Elijah is about to call fire down from heaven, but guess what happens? The angel of the Lord shows up, which in the Old Testament is often like a manifestation of God himself as a whole nother topic. The angel of the Lord shows up and he's like, just go with them. Elijah goes, he has a chat with the king, and he's done. You realize a hundred people died that day for no reason. Yes. Elijah had the power, apparently, to call down fire from heaven, but he misused it because it seems perhaps even God himself shows up and says, Stop it! <laughs> I granted you this ability, and you need to stop it. We see this even more so in the New Testament, because when Jesus' disciples uh, have to leave a town, they're like, Hey, they don't have anywhere for us to stay, let's call fire down from them. From heaven. And some manuscripts later wrote in, like Elijah did. And Jesus rebukes him for it. He's like, No, let's just go to the next town. In other words, Jesus is like, yeah, Don't use that power. That's not how that works. That's not why it's granted to you. Yes. They have the spiritual power, they also have the ability to misuse it. You have the spiritual power to withhold forgiveness, but the Bible shows you that that is a misuse of that power. Because time and time and time again, the Bible says, forgive, forgive, forgive. And if Jesus is the ultimate example of how we need to live, then we are literally looking at a man on a cross who in his last moment said, God, these people are murdering me. Please forgive them for that. They don't know what they're doing. That is your example. Jesus, who has the ultimate power to judge and to make calls on everything, Makes the call on the cross, God, this guy just put a nail through my wrist. Please forgive him. If Jesus does that, you can forgive the person that you're having a little petty fight with. (laughs) If Jesus does that, then you can bless the person who walked in your house and stole something. And you say, God, would they be able to use that money for something that uh, they need today? That's the backwards, upside down kingdom of heaven. That you have the great power to withhold forgiveness, and instead, you give forgiveness. You bless. You say, God, they owe something to me, but I'm forgiving them, and I ask that uh, you would uh, forgive them as well for this matter. So, with all that being said, we kind of come to this question though we still have the power to withhold forgiveness or to bind. Would we ever do that? Does that ever make sense? And I know this sounds counter to everything that I just said, but I would say yes. I would say sometimes circumstances are so extreme and so messed up that occasionally you might have to bind instead of loose, that occasionally you might have to not not, uh, show unforgiveness, but withhold forgiveness for a time until they're ready to be repentant. And the Bible shows you examples of this. In Corinthians, right? Remember this guy sleeping with his stepmom? In Corinthians, there's this guy sleeping with his stepmom. And, and Paul writes him a letter. He's like, what are you doing? Do you guys know how famous you are for this? The pagans don't sleep with their stepmoms. And yet you Christians in your church have a guy sleeping with his stepmom. Kick him out of the church. In fact, Paul goes so far as to say, turn him over to Satan. <laughs> why, would, why would Paul say that? Well, that's outside of sacred space. If the church is sacred space, then turn him over to Satan, over to Azazel in the desert, outside of sacred space. Send him out of the church, consider him a Gentile, a tax collector, so that you can, Paul goes on, you're not just turning him over to Satan so that he's condemned, you turn him over so that on the day of judgment, he might be saved. How does turning someone over to Satan get them saved? What are you talking about, Paul. It's this idea, if you're turned over to Satan, you're going to have to experience the full wrath of your sin. You are sent outside of God's protection, outside of sacred space. And once you feel the entire weight of how you've championed the sin of sleeping with your stepmom, eventually, that is going to weigh you down so much that you are going to realize just how toxic it is, and you're going to come rushing back for the church, not this time just taking people's forgiveness, but this time repenting and taking people's forgiveness. If this guy was unrepentant, but just being forgiven while sticking in the church, well, then he would have been bringing judgment on himself. But because turning him over, Satan has now made him repentant, guess what happened? Withholding forgiveness or binding him was done. Why? To lead him to be loosed. To lead him to be forgiven. Something that may not have happened in any other way. That is an extreme scenario. None of you should be going out of this room saying, I got so many people to bind when I get home. Mm, You just wait. Janae? uh, Wait, Janae. Janice? (laughs) Oh, Debbie? (laughs) No, I mean, we just, binding isn't, isn't something that, That we should do unless it's in an incredibly toxic situation. And the only reason you would come to a binding conclusion and a withholding forgiveness conclusion is so they would come back so that they would be forgiven. You see the same thing in Revelation with uh, Jezebel. Jezebel has led people into worshiping false idols and into sexual immorality. And God says, I've tried to warn her several times. I tried to get through to her. She's not listening to me. So I've got to turn her over to judgment. Her children, probably her spiritual followers, are going to die because of what she's doing. She's going to feel a full weight, if you will, of being outside of my protection, of being in Satan's hands. Because she didn't repent the first few times, maybe this will bring her around. We often think of Jezebel as like, nothing could help her. But God is even... In that prophetic word, it's like these, this is what's going to happen if she doesn't repent. Because God is ever gracious, ever loving, ever forgiving, not wanting any to perish. So if you're here today and you've ever been at that point where just something is so far beyond you, you've done everything you can, then a good verse to remember for yourself is Romans 12:18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. As far as it goes for you, be forgiving towards what is going on. And we've seen modern day examples of, of forgiveness time and time again. Examples that we must never forget. Because these kinds of people, uh, they show us what Jesus looks like in modern day form. We can think of the people uh, at Charleston with the shooting of, of an African American church by a young white supremacist. The story we often don't hear that followed this is after these people had lost their family members, the people most precious to them, they go to this courtroom where the shooter is is put up on a screen and to the camera so that he can see them, they begin to tell them that they forgive them on behalf of what they have done, uh, on behalf of what this guy has done to their family members. That right there is an incredibly incredibly powerful example of what it looks like to be hung on a cross and still forgive. That's a modern day example of how we always need to loose and forgive in hopes to lead someone like the person who shot our relatives into redemption. Or we can look at the Amish community that, that uh, shooter walked into their, their place some years back and, and shot a, a whole school of young children. And then killed himself. How does the Amish community respond? In ways none of us could ever think of responding. They take care of the shooter's family. They attend the funeral for the shooter on behalf of the family. And they raise money for the kids of this shooter. I mean, that right there, that's incredible forgiveness and peacemaking. All for the hope of bringing all of this into what they can. To to bring it before God and to... To show this family who Christ is. We can think of Corrie Ten Boom, uh, a Christian lady who was hiding Jews in her house in Nazi Germany and got caught for it and ended up in a concentration camp where she lost her sister just days or weeks before she was finally let go, before the place was shut down. And she's preaching much later in her older age at a church when a a uh, guy comes up to her and she recognizes him immediately it's one of the concentration camp guards from her concentration camp and immediately all these memories come flooding back to her and this guard says I recently became a Christian and I believe that God forgives me for all the horrible things that I've done but because of your story and what you've experienced and he doesn't know that he's been her direct oppressor uh, he's like I, I would love to hear it out of your voice if you would be able to <laughs> uh, and she she just is trying to figure out what to do because all of these memories and emotions building up in her. Finally, she just says, God, I'll reach out my hand. I'll say I forgive you. You supply the feeling. <laughs> she reaches out, shakes his hand. She says, I felt this electricity run through my arm the moment I said I forgive you. These are the powerful stories of radical Forgiveness, showing us in modern day life, how do we go about with using this authority the right way and, and being nailed to a cross and forgiving those around us. Occasionally you might find yourself withholding forgiveness, but that is not to be an unforgiving person. That is not to be a vengeful person. That is simply because you think that the Holy Spirit is giving you that as the full tactic to bring that person to Christ. You have the authority to forgive, but like with all power comes great responsibility. And if you use this one properly, you will always find yourself on the side of forgiving. So uh, we all got baggage in here. We all got problems. We've all got drama in our life somewhere, someplace. In fact, one of the words that we were given for tonight uh, was even uh, kind of right on that topic. Uh, somebody felt Someone here might need prayer if you've got struggles or tensions with in-law relationships. Uh, if you have an in-law, that's probably true. Um, <laughs> no, half of, you, half of you understood that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, whatever the case might be, whatever you're going through, uh, there is forgiveness on the table. Forgiveness is healthy for you. Forgiveness is what God expects of you. It's in the authority that he's given you to meet with the Holy Spirit and always forgive. And in very tense situations to use that differently. Uh, We also had a a word that someone might be thinking of taking up fostering in some way, shape or form. If that's for you, we invite you to give prayer too. So we'll have our prayer team in the back. I know Janice is one of the prayers. She won't be able to stand, so she'll be sitting. Just know that she is there on the prayer team. Um, If you need prayer for anything, just go and ask. But one of the things that we all need prayer for is ideas and solutions from the Holy Spirit to take care of those moments in our life. You don't need to run every problem that you have before the church. A lot of times you need to take care of it yourself. That's where it always starts. And that's Jesus' own teaching to start with you. Uh, And a lot of times when we have problems come up, we just separate ourselves from it so we don't have to deal with it. And that creates more tension, more anger, and more problems. Yeah, Genesis. The place to ask questions. Yes. Uh, just go to our... Yeah, our Slido thing isn't up tonight, but if you go to our webpage, it says enter questions and answers for our podcast. You can just go there and type it in there. Uh, so Ben's going to come up. Let's pray. And then let's, uh, uh, I invite you to ask God to lead you as we worship into some of the areas of your life where you know forgiveness needs to happen uh, or to open up to you areas that you weren't aware needs to happen. It's the worst. I've been there so many times (laughs) where the Holy Spirit's just suddenly like, Hey, Jamin, you really hurt this person 10 years ago. You should reach out. (laughs) Well, I don't want to have that conversation. But then you do it and you find out it was right. God, God was leading you into that. So let's pray. God, we welcome you right now. Even as hard as that is to say sometimes, we welcome you to guide us into all truth for you are all truth. And much of the truth you're putting before us right now is where we've gone wrong in the past so that we might bring forgiveness. God, I also pray for some. Some here are always looking to make peace and they need to know that they have done all that they can do on some scenarios. So if anyone in here needs that word too, I pray that you would open up what Paul says in Romans as far as you can be a peaceable person Make it happen on your part. Uh, But a lot of times we prefer to just think we've done all that we can do so that we don't have to deal with it. So uh, keep us open, keep us vulnerable, and let us soak all that in. Jesus' name. Amen.